podcast, a podcast offering discussions and tutorials on nerdy subjects for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With me today, with you here today is your nerdy tutor, George, and with me here today as well, my knitting mother, my mama. Hey. She knits. I actually, this is crochet. Okay, so crochet. I am, I am bistitual. Bistitual. Most, I don't think I've ever heard it, that phrase that way before. Most people only do one or the other, and most and, and don't transition well between them. So I'm I am bistitual. So, <laughs> sorry. No, 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 that's quite all right. I think we've been watching a lot of movies as of late. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have to wa- we're gonna have to do an episode on Black Widow. Black Widow here. Oh, thank you. We'll also do one on Loki here. Once... I, I want I, I want to get a better vantage point on uh, Colin Jost's chick. <laughs> I still don't understand how Colin Jost and Scarlett Johansson at the end of the day like. Roger Rabbit. I, yeah, it really does feel like that at the end of the day. Oh my goodness, Roger Rabbit and uh, it would be kind of interesting if they had um, if that was like a, that appropriated. No, 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 no. I think oh. it's perfect. I think it's almost the perfect example here. Like, because Roger Rabbit was was you know fairly famous comedian in his own right, and then Scarlett Johansson, you know, being Jessica Rabbit was like, no, yeah, that that all lines up at the end of the day. I'm just saying that's that's how I think of it. I, God, then who is Mike? Then who is Michael Che at the end of the day? Then he's the ba- is he the baby, or the taxi cab? Oh, oh, good question. There is a great that is a great movie in and of itself, and maybe that's an entire episode where we talk, you know, about live action and it's live action and animated. It's because you have. Also, Space Jam, the second, the new one that's coming out as well, mm-hmm. which is an interesting. Well, and the original one as well. The original one, and then you. Is all, that before or after Roger Rabbit? Um, quite a bit after Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit. Zemeckis really opened up a, a little Pandora's box with that because if you go back in time, you have to go way back to Song of the South, I think. Song of the South. Um, which is an old Disney. Mm-hmm. You you can't find it anywhere. No. Um, there's another one racist. called uh, Rock-a-Doodle, Rock-a-Doodle-Doo, which, was a, which is a very old, I want to say it's a uh, same, guy who, it's same guy who did, it, Don Bluth, I think I want to say it's the same company that did um, All Dogs Go to Heaven and a couple other films of that oh, era. Oh, yeah. It's a rooster that's Elvis at the end of the day. And there's bits where there's human characters in a, in a cartoon environment at the end of the day. Um, but no, yeah, I think I think Roger Rabbit's the first you know, first real one to do it in real kind of earnest. Because uh, they had to create whole entire elements of that movie just to be able to exist at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, you know. Oh, it was uh, so well done. Mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins, probably my favorite Bob Hoskins movie ever. Well, and and you, you keep thinking he was acting against nothing. Against nothing. Yeah. Some somebody reading lines. Yeah. Well, again, the the guy who plays Roger Rabbit, um, just off to the side here. Actually, if you ever get a chance to, um, I forget the actor who who does Rod, the voice of Roger Rabbit, but he's got a he's got a good eighteen minute long TED talk on number theory. Really. Yeah, like a good solid eighteen minutes where he, he talks about number theory. And system of numbers, how like they have this kind of, you know, geometric sort of look to them at the end of the day. If you either graph them out or put them on a, put them on like a chart or something, or you put them in like a circular gram sort of way, like 
you know, it's it's really good because it's like part of it's just kind of like, yeah, he's having a lot of fun just making jokes, but he's also, but you're also watching and you're just thinking, wow, like he's not wrong. It's actually kind of interesting that he's gone that way. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to watch, but I thought we'd get a little interactive this week. I'm all down. Okay, so have you ever heard of the term Big Three before? In, yeah, Big Three CPA firms. So yeah, so <laughs> us as, you know, so human beings, we like, we like to think of like the top three sort of things in a lot of cases, or yeah. uh, we like to denote stuff in like the, the you know Big Three, you know. Um, if we go back to Japanese animation or Shonen Jump, at least, your big three would have been um, One Piece, Naruto, and Bleach back in the day. The big top three, you know, uh, franchises at the end of the day. Uh, well, Nintendo has its own big three as well. Oh. And it's Super Mario, Zelda, and Metroid. Okay, so so heard of Super, Super Mario, of course, familiar mm-hmm. with Zelda, Zelda and Link? Zelda and Link, yes. Um, so I've obviously heard. Um, have never heard of Metroid? Metroid. What is Metroid? Um, Metroid is um, and kind, it's, kind of what happens if you mix... And this is Nintendo? This is Nintendo. So this isn't Pokemon? No, no. Because my, keep in mind, Pokemon would have been circa 1995 or circa 1996, 97, 98. Um, this would have been for Nintendo, nineteen eighty six, nineteen or nineteen eighty five, nineteen eighty six, and nineteen eighty eight for Super Mario, Le- uh, Legend of Zelda, and then Metroid. And Metroid's kind of a uh, Metroid for me is probably one of my more favorite of these games because it's a giant exploratory. You basically are a, just a lone character named Samus that transverses this maze like world where you have to. Gain power-ups, discover more pits of the map. So you have to gain power-ups to get access to other parts of the map, to gain access to more power-ups to get to other parts of the map to eventually get to the boss and bad guys in there. And Metroid does an amazingly great job of conveying the world at the end of the day um, through what feels like this very kind of stoic, sort of like almost hard-to-breathe-in sort of area because like it's got this kind of like Grim music kind of going on in the background, and you're not really quite sure what's going to come around the corner. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about The Legend of Zelda, because there's a very interesting... There's a is lot it, of actually is interesting this, stuff. Is this what Angelina Jolie was in? What was what was that? Tomb Raider. Tomb Ra- there was the Tomb Raider. Um, That's not... Okay. There, in all honesty, the fact that they haven't done some version of a movie about uh, The Legend of Zelda here at this point is actually kind of criminal. Would it make a good movie? Oh yes, any one of these games would make great movies. Even just if you ju- even if you just took Ocarina of Time, like cut out a lot of the dungeons and a lot of the other like you know long form arcs, this could be a really great you know almost even like you know two part movie. You know, you could almost do or it could be a really great Game of Thrones style long running TV series in some cases here because it is. You know, each one of these games are run along a lot, a lot of the same themes, but like they're super long running at the end of the day. Um, even just alone, I think with the mainline Zelda games, if you just take 
the major console games, there's almost like 10 major console games in and of themselves before you get to the other additional handheld games that have their own stories to them. Okay, so, so is there one for, for Switch then? Oh, yes, yes, yes. The Breath of the Wild, which is the most recent one, which will be your homework. Oh, cool. Okay. So I have a copy of it, and you will be getting, and you will get to play it for a bit. Uh, My Switch will be happy to see me. I um, will have to stamp out cockroaches the next time I go in because I haven't played in a while. It's okay. The, the, farm, the villagers will understand. You, uh, you know, they, you get cockroaches if you don't play for a while. Mm-hmm. No, again, I mean, like you get a certain amount of cockroaches for every. I think it's every week that you don't play, you get at least one. Co- you get at least like one cockroach. And then you have to stamp on them. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you have to come back into the room to find them again to stamp on them. Oh, because they've got kind of things. You can you, drop things on them too. Yes. Or uh, or slide things into them. Oh, good to know. Mm-hmm. So if you like furniture, you can just kind of like slide the furniture into them. So, um, what is the Legend of Zelda here? So, Legend of Zelda is actually um, kind of an interesting in a, in a game sense here with Nintendo because they don't. It's the same characters over and over, but actually not the same characters. Um, each one of these games, depending on when they're being held, generally have always have at least three elements to it. They always have at least a Link, a Zelda, and then a Ganon in the mainline titles here, who are all either reincarnations of previous Links and or Zeldas and, and or Ganons at certain points. Um, so each one of these characters is the same character, but not the same character. They're reincarnations. They have the attributes of the previous ones? Mm-hmm. Well, they have, they, have, they have very, very, very similar characteristics of the last ones, typically. Like, Princess Zelda is always Princess Zelda. It's almost as if, you know, they were like, oh, hey, look, a, a female, great, a princess, great, let's name it Zelda. Like the next thousand lines, this is Zelda, the 572nd Zelda. Okay, so, so clothes-wise, we, are, we, are we similar? Um, so in a lot of cases here, when you get to the different characters here, uh, Link is always kind of well-described in his green tunic that he usually wears. So he has kind of a... Green tunic and green sort of like hat. Kind of Peter Panny. Yes. Yes, very kind of Peter Panny initially. Um, he It's a very constant stable throughout uh, Link's uh, history um, versus Zelda. It's usually always portrayed in kind of like robes and princess garb kind of style you know, at the end of the day. Um, Ganon or Ganondorf, depending on what version of this you're getting at, um, is often depicted as kind of like a dark-skinned warrior kind of guy. Um, and also a nice plate armor, or he's uh, a pig monster, or he's a boar. A pig, pig monster. Pig monster, yeah. Like, like Gragnac? Um, not quite. Like a mad, and I'm trying to find a really great analog here, but I think maybe it's almost um, almost a little bit better to just kind of show you it here at the end of the day. So I'm gonna, okay, okay. So if you see here, you kind of got kind of a pig oh. monster sort of. Oh, what does he remind me of? He remi- he reminds me of the of the guys who walk in um, R two D two and C three PO in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yes, yes, yes. Kind of like those guys, almost a little bit. I, yeah, sort of, sort of like a walking warthog. Yeah, kind of like a big giant warthog or like a big giant pig with tusks. Um, when he's in a more humanish form, he is Ganondorf. When he is in a 
uh, more pig-like form, this is the this is Ganon. Um, so the big so one of the interesting things about the development of of this series here, The Legend of Zelda, here is actually partly is that it was built it was actually being made at the same time as Super Mario Brothers. They they have a very different look and feel. Yes. So what was happening here was that um, a young man who you may have heard of, I believe it's a, a Shigeru Miyamoto. Yeah, Shigeru Miyamoto. Um, essentially, what happened was is that he got put in charge of making these brand new games for the Japanese Famicom, um, and actually they were developing this add-on system called the Famicom Disk System. So basically, what this disk system was like, you would this get Famicom like like family computer in Japan. Got it. So. Uh, and and the, the idea here was that like it was very similar to the idea of like an Atari or these other like game consoles, ColecoVision, things like that at the time. Um, but that it was meant for like the entire family, as were like other game systems. Really, were like kind of all over the place a little bit, you know. I I I, I remember those days where like oh you had an Atari, great an Atari what? Yeah. You know what what version? Yeah, much in the same way as like oh yeah we were using. You know, like if you had a P, if you had like some sort of home computer at the end of the day, you had to be really, really careful what kind you bought at the end of the day because not all software worked with all machines. Well, wasn't weren't most things ATs or XTs though? Well, well, again, I mean, like a lot of them would have been, you know, like oh, just, you had a lot of the little Tandy stuff. You Tandys, you had your. Um, Trying to think back in the day. Oh yeah, I mean, like, you get, we were an IBM household. Yeah, so you would have had your IBMs, you would have had your uh, Apples, you would have had your um, Tandy, you would have had your uh, Vic One Twenties, you know, Vic Vic Eighties, you know, things like that. You know, all these various different machines at the day with their, all their own very unique sort of system at the end of the day. Until like, I think really Microsoft is really what kind of came in and just said, everyone's using Windows. Get over it. What's so funny about that is that original technology migrated over from IBM. We housed a division of IBM that created the first graphical user interface. Mm -hmm. And they had uh, OS2, OS and OS2. Um, and uh, Microsoft hacked off of that. It's actually been proven. Oh, yeah, no. I, uh, Microsoft actually, um, so Kodak at one point here created a lot of the early sort of graphical interface with the mouse and everything uh -huh. um, that eventually wound its way into uh, a series of apples initially. And then Microsoft having seen what Apple was doing was just like, well, no, we can do better. Yeah. And basically in very, you know, point blankly almost, you know, made a point of saying like, yeah, well we stole their thing, you know, Oh, it doesn't start from the left. It doesn't start from the right. It starts from the left, all the buttons and icons, you know, like, you know, cause in an app, if you're using an Apple, a lot of the icons start on the right hand side. Start on the right hand side versus uh, PCs; they all kind of start from the left. See, and and, and ha I had had an early Mac that had all the signatures in it, but I haven't had one since then. No, I, I've, I've my only Apple products my my iPad and my phone. Uh, so the Famicom disk system would have been this add-on that was kind of like a you know a floppy disk, and instead of being a hot floppy disk, would have been like the uh, 3.5 uh, hard disk that you would have put in, but they would have held held more information on it, allowing to have more graphics and more items on it here. Uh, now, the disk system itself would have came out in 1986 with 
um, Shigeru Miyamoto working on both working on both Super Mario and The Legend of Zelda at the same time. However, he didn't know which game was going to be which at the end of the day, though. He wanted definitely wanted to have one game that was more action-oriented and reactionary, and he didn't want a second game where you were, the pace was a little bit slower. You could think about it a little bit more. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot of the ideas, when they were just literally spitballing ideas, they would put it in... They would literally write it down and put it in different buckets at the end of the day. It's like, oh, this would be a really great idea for Mario, Super Mario versus this would be a really great idea for The Legend of Zelda at the end of the day. Um, How and, interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, Super Mario, which was the more... Uh, which was the one that actually was able to develop quicker here. It came out for the regular Famicom in 1985 as it's as a standalone cartridge at the end of the day versus um, Legend of Zelda, which had to take a little bit longer here to develop, uh, came out on uh, the disc system here. But obviously Legend of Zelda had a lot more data into it here, um, including various different maps and screens, um, music and different power-ups and items for you to collect over time, which was not um, an easy thing to convey back in the day. I mean, it wouldn't be until after um, the disc system came out that you started seeing also games like Mega Man, who also came out. Um, I remember Mega Man. You mm-hmm. guys were into Mega Man. Yes. I just, I actually just uh, recently got the Mega Man X collection for the Switch, because they have that for only about 20 bucks too, and I was playing that here over the weekend. Oh, love me, I love me some Mega Man X. That's definitely another podcast in and of itself as well. Okay. Um, so what's interesting about um, about The Legend of Zelda here at the end of the day is that it's a... Whereas Super Mario was a very linear design, basically moved from left to right, go from World 1, 2, 3, 4, then World 2, 1, 2, 2, 2, 3, 2, 4, and go f- so forth from there. Um Zelda was designed entirely around being non-linear so that you were kind of forced to figure out what you do next rather than just moving forward from left to right. But doesn't just the option to do that would create, it's like design your own ending. Mm -hmm. It creates too many, I mean, because what you choose, that's a lot of options to build. Yes, it's what I'm trying to say. No, and and to be fair, what ends up what you end up doing in a lot of Zelda games, and eventually transferred over to Metroid as well, because it's a very similar sort of setup here, where you don't move from left to right; you go wherever is available to you. Okay. Uh, Zelda kind of limits where you're able to go by um, either a placing much harder enemies in the area until you get powerful enough to get past them. Or gatekeeping you by limiting you to where you can go with by via what p- items you have. It's like you can't cross a river without the boat at the end of the day. So you can put like a river between you to kind of st- halt your progress to stop you from moving forward until you get that boat, which is not until you get much stronger, anyways. Okay. So there's items like so that. So it doesn't set you up to fail. No, I mean like there are plenty of ways to fail at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong, but. The idea there being is that, you know, for you to be able to progress, you need to have certain items on hand, and you won't get those items until you get more stronger anyway. So as a length of time, you will get stronger, you'll get more items, and that'll allow you to go to the next place, which you need to be stronger anyways to go to, you know, um, at the end of the day. So there was that element in both Zelda and eventually Metroid that really was very, you know, exciting to a lot of us who were playing those, who were playing those games at the time. 
What's also very interesting about uh, Legend of Zelda here as well is that it takes a lot of inspiration from uh, Tolkien at the end of the day. A lot of Lord oh. of the Rings. It's very much of the... Almost any story before, you know, the 1990s here, and even certainly very much before that here, is a lot of based off of, you know, medieval fantasy is all Tolkien-based. Tolkien well, here's the interesting thing is, is when I was um, 14, 15, there were suddenly... A, a, it's sort of a resurgence or a reimmersion in in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I read it, mm -hmm. um, read the books, long books, um, and uh, and it, there was sort of a you were cool if you could talk about Frodo Baggins, <laughs> and it was sort of a thing, and then it died off, and you heard nobody talking about it unless you lived in Chico, which does, as I'm sure you're aware, a whole cosplay. Thing around the Lord of the Rings every mm -hmm. every like August, um, like August September. I don't remember the exact dates, but I'm aware of their like festival thing that they it's do. It's a there. big thing. Mm -hmm. But unless you lived in Chico, nobody was talking about Lord of the Rings, and then all of a sudden the movies come along. Well, I mean, a lot of us had been talking about Lord of the Rings. We just didn't realize it because again, Dungeons and Dragons would have came out in between then, and so if you were playing Dungeons and Dragons, also very Tolkien esque based as well. Well, I played a game of Dungeons and Dragons well before you were born. Mm -hmm. It was around. Oh yeah. Um, so that being a kind of a big element here, you know, you have that uh, fantasy sort of like wizards and swords and shields and goblins and you know orcs sort of going on in the world here. Um, what was actually interesting and was was kind of a feature that eventually got dropped at the end of the day um, was that uh, the initial character Link. Do you know why he's called Link? No. So there was a lot of confusion why this character was called Link at the end of the day. Because Link, that's uh, not a very, you know, I, I get Zelda, I get Ganon. Link, that doesn't sound like a name almost. It almost sounds like a thing you do. Well, initially the idea was that when you were playing the, the main character here, you were actually a time traveler that went back to the past. And the things that you were trying to collect at the end of the day, the Triforce, as it were, were actually some sort of circuits or electronics, you know. Thus, Link could become Hyperlink. That's cute. Kind of, or a link to the past, present, and future at the end of the day. So they were. And that's they, actually really brilliant. Yeah, it's kind of clever at the end of the day when you think about it. Um, wait till you hear about who Zelda is named after. Empress. Nope. No. No. Okay. She's actually named after Elda, uh, Zelda Fitzgerald. Oh. Yeah. Well, Zelda's a little flighty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is kind of interesting because um, Robin Williams' daughter is also named Zelda at the end of the day, and he made a point. He makes a point of saying, "Like, yeah, I named my I named my daughter after a video game." So as you, you still so get named after a video game, that's kind of cool at the end of the day. Well, you you know. Very much a cool guy. He was a very cool guy. So, um, in Japan, again, it came out on the family in the Famicom disc system here. Um, it was a huge success. And again, part of the real benefit of this disc system was is that um, with the added space, you could uh, contain more data on it, but you could also save the game as well, which is not a feature that you generally think of as cartridges back in the day. Um, a lot of games like Mega Man at the end of the day had to rely on a password system where it would generate a password based off your progress. So it knew where you were. Mm -hmm. It's all marker. Yeah. So again, you would put in these passwords um, 
uh, it would randomly, and mind you, a lot of the passwords would be seeming seemingly somewhat random, but based off where the numbers are, it would say, oh, they've gotten this many power ups, this many, they're on this boss, or, or they've could you this. sell could you sell a password? Um, you couldn't sell a password, but oftentimes, you know, like it was one of those things you would trade with other people. It's like I know the password how to get X, Y, and Z. You know, um, a really great example of this was a, a really kind of cool example. Of this was um, when the first set of Mortal Kombat games came out for the Sega Genesis and Nintendo. Nintendo was very much firmly in the camp of no, no blood. So everyone oh. went to play the first uh, Mortal Kombat. I do remember uh, that. I everyone, remember that being an issue. Yep. So everyone went to go play the uh, the first game on the Sega Genesis because you could get blood on there, and that was like part of that. Like that was like a good portion of what was uh, Mortal Kombat here. Not even just the blood so much as that a lot of the uh, you got you got all the fatalities just like they were in the arcade, versus like on Nintendo. Like a lot of the fatalities were kind of like toned down a little bit. Because again, like Nintendo wanted to be seeming family friendly at the end of the day. Well, they saw how well the game did on Genesis, and were like, "Okay, all right, we blood. Really, we get it." Blood. Um, and so, <laughs> well, not necessarily just so much blood, as so much as just like, "Okay, okay, yeah, we got it. We want to be the console which everyone plays the new hottest game on, even if it's offered on a Genesis." Because keep in mind, um, the Genesis really only had the three buttons on there, unless you had the special six button controllers. Which were not common. Versus Nintendo had the six button controllers, and so you could get all the buttons at at once there. So it made a lot more sense for, um, you know, Nintendo games to be a lot more fa- those fighting game oriented and fighting game friendly. Uh, so one of the features you had in the second and third Mortal Kombat games was that you could put in. Um, additional codes uh, during the fight select uh, during the fight uh, selection sort of screen, uh-huh. and you could unlock new features like everyone had big heads or everyone's or you know, the big heads are easier to, to hit, have better explosions. What some of that was like kind of like some goofy stuff here, or like everyone was like half size. Uh, you know, there was some like little kind of you know cutesy stuff or like. You know, bigger blood explosions, stuff like that, you know, or the, the, explosion, the, the, the blood was green instead or something, you know, like there's funky little codes like that. I mean, a lot in a lot of the um, a lot of like the cheap magazines, like, again, like Nintendo Power and other uh, video game magazines would list some of the special codes that you need in order to um, to do either cool stuff in games like debug or get to the get to like the very last boss at the end of the game. Stuff like that in some cases here. So you had a lot of the ability to unlock more of the game or had the ability to get to certain points of the game based off where you wanted to go. But with the with the save system, though, you literally could save it on the disc itself and forever keep your progress. So it always knew where you were at the end of the day. No having to have written down this code and then hope you found the code again when you wanted to come back and play it. You know, Because keep in mind... In the case of, like, Mega Man, you could beat Mega Man within, you know, maybe a two-hour sort of span at the end of the day, especially if you had played it, played it a couple times. Um, even Mega Man X, even to this day, I haven't played it in, like, probably, like, five, six, seven years here now. Uh-huh. Still beat it in the span of about a two-hour span, uh, with world records being around in a 35-minute span. Ooh. <laughs> well. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a speedrunner, so I'm okay with that. Um. 
But Th- those are one of those people you watch on uh, YouTube, dude. Oh yeah, yeah. you, wa- you watch on YouTube, and you're just like, please show me more, master. Watch as he glides around the screen, avoiding any and everything, and getting the perfect places placements for. But everything. how much time did he spend getting to that skill level? Yeah, and that's the thing. These are people that, you know, will play this one exact game for the next, you know, like year or so just to get close to that world record spot in speedrunners. Well, and you and I talked about speedrunners in an earlier episode of the podcast mm-hmm. in, in which we talked about how how to monetize. And that's one of the ways to monetize. Mm-hmm. Yep, is speedrunning or... Because, um, again, a lot of that's on Twitch now, so people are able to just kind of record their uh, runs and they'll have even nice little graphics to the side that show, like, their progress at certain points as well so you can see how they're matching up with either previous runs or previous, you know, best best times at the end of the day. So you might have a, a level which you did really, really well on, but the next level you didn't get you didn't get really good RNG at the end of the day. Or R- random R- randomness basically. Okay. Um just, uh, just, they, just trying to figure it out. Yeah. RNG in games is um basically when you press start at the end of the day there's kind of a random element element that's going on in the background that kind of says what some of the bad guys or some of what of the bosses do at certain points. Uh, and so if you timed it perfectly and you got it on the right exact half, you know, quarter of a second press at the end of the day, uh-huh. you could know exactly what the bosses were going to do every single moment. Or what their and, response was going to be? Yeah. Um, oh. And so you can plan ahead of time what you did. And so there's some device, there's some speedruns called tool-assisted speedruns where they literally pause every single frame to press a button to get it the most frame-perfect, literally, you know, um, playthrough. So they, can, so they know exactly when they press start where the character is going to be at every single frame and what every single, every single bad guy is going to do. So they can either jump, dodge, or move around. And they could edit. They could spend months editing a single like level playthrough to get it to be the most optimized, best level playthrough ever. Which, and but and 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 they're they're peripherally making money out of this by. Then eventually posting it online and and and, and you subscribe watch. to them. Yeah. Yeah. So and you can even go through the process of watching people do it as well. It's very tedious kind of watching because, again, you literally will watch But if this. you were into it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah if you're, again, like, I've seen speedruns of games that I know I like and I've played before, like Super Metroid and Mega Man X, and I watch it and I'm just like, oh. And then I watch games in which I never watched or seen before, and I'm just like, I don't know how cool this is. This was, this can be... I don't know real, whether to be impressed or not. Yeah. Like, the speedrun for um, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 uh-huh. um, is kind of cool but it's also kind of very misleading because they warp around the map so much that you're just like i don't play this game nearly enough it's to not know. clean yeah not clean or i don't play this nearly enough to know where you're at in the level to be able to say like oh wow that was really cool that you skipped all that you know sort of situation as where if it's like super if it's sonic the hedgehog 2 which i that one i do know the levels really well i can watch somebody play that and just be like oh wow they skipped that i didn't think you could do that you know, but which only available on frame perfect sort of elements here at the end of the day. But going back to Zelda here at the end of the day. Um, but by the way, there are no speed knitters that you can watch online. No, I think there are. 
Really? I would be very concerned about them at the end of the day because I don't think it's one of, I mean, because it's, you know, it's literally making the same thing over and over and over and over again. That would be true. Yeah, to, to get good at it. Um, so what was interesting about The Legend of Zelda here is that um, here in America, we never got the uh, Famicom disc system at all. Um, Why do you think that is? Um, a couple different reasons was that when the original um, Famicom computer system came out in Japan, it would have been 1982-1983. Um, by comparison, when it came out to us here in the West in 1987, um, I think a lot of the technolog technological barriers in between then had been solved. And I think it's kind of hard to tell somebody at the end of the day, like, hey, buy this machine that has this cartridge that you have to put in, but then also buy this, this thing that goes on top of it to insert discs into. So I think there was a I think there was partly a barrier for that because even just remembering what was the Super Nintendo original setup at the end of the day. Uh-huh. Um, if you remember back in the day, which very few people do, there was a robot that came with the Super Nintendo. Really? There was a Rob the Robot, only usable on two games, specially designed for that. You know, you could buy that as a special bundle with the system. So can you get a Rob the Robot on uh, on eBay now? Yes. I would wager, though, a good Rob the Robot um, in good working order here. And actually, I can just pull up eBay real quickly here right now. Probably goes really expensive, I would imagine. So let's try here. It's either Rob the Robot or one of those items here. So... Um, Maybe it's not Rob the Robot. Let's see here. Let's see, what is the Nintendo Robot? Because again, came with the. Yeah, so a complete set of the robot here. Oh, okay. It's actually going for around about. Uh, oh, What's R the robot's name? ROB. Rob the Robot. He's going for about 75 bucks. Um, online, but if you want to get one of like the um... oh my god, you know what he looks like? He looks like the one we built. Yes, I know, right? He looks like the, the like like the when we were doing the thing on robotics and we built a, a robot. I know, yeah. He looks wow, oddly similar to that, right? Yeah, here's one for two forty nine uh, ninety nine. Yep, there's some out there for like three hundred bucks even. I got, see one for three hundred. Yep, yeah. there's a couple variations of it. So most of the time when you're getting it, it's a lot of the like the parts that go along with it. It would have had like spinning top sort of things. They had to like move between different places here. Macari like, has one that it's got like it looks like it has a lot of peripheral devices. The box alone, there's something. There's somebody just selling the box. Forty nine ninety nine. Three hundred fifty bucks for just. The oh box. my gosh! Okay, GameStop has one for forty nine ninety nine bucks. Mm -hmm. Oh my! Oh, I see! I see the the console. Yep. So original. again, that original um, Nintendo console that came out here in the West, the Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, at the time, I think when it came to the chips and the things that you would have been able to do with those cartridges, that there was enough power in those cartridges now with the redesign for the Nintendo system that you could be able to fit a lot of what was on those discs onto the cartridges. And especially when it came to the um, Nintendo, the cartridge for Zelda at the end of the day, um, 
came with a, a special chip inside of it that had to be battery powered to keep track of the game data save at the end of the day. So it had to keep that ROM inside there powered at the end of the day. Um, the, the disc also here in America came in it was gold as well. So spray painted gold at the end of the day versus the normal uh, cartridges here in the West uh, were like this gray sort of like object at the end of the day. Well, the the one for Zelda at the end of the day was bright gold, which oh, was really kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so interestingly enough, they came up with a second version not too long, not too much la uh, later. Um, what was interesting about the first Zelda was like this top-down perspective that you kind of ran up and down the screen on. Mm -hmm. um, not too dissimilar to like a Pokemon sort of look at the end of the day. Um, but when they came up with the second Zelda game, it was more of a 2D style at the end of the day. Oh, okay. So because so to me, to me, I always likened the original games that I saw to to sort of Pac-Man. Kind of Pac-Man-ish looking, yeah. Um, the second game was more akin to like Mario, where it was more like a 2D sort of uh, platformy sort of look at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and again, both games really, really well received at the end of the day. We eventually get to, um, you know, and what's really interesting about just Zelda in general here is that it's been a mainstay of at least every single generation of Nintendo games here. Um, when you get to the Super Nintendo here, this is the first series, uh, this, the Zelda game here, A Link to the Past. Oh. I know, right? Right? Um, actually, it was actually kind of interesting in this particular case because... It's the first time the, the Zelda universe introduced a main feature of their series, which was this duality worlds at the end of the day. There is a light world and a dark world, and Link is able to transverse between the two worlds in order to get to either new places or to see new things, um, which was, again, a very common feature in much later games at the end of the day, where either Link is able to transform into other things to be able to transverse the world, or the world itself changes based off of it's a light world or a dark world or it's the past, it's the present, it's the future sort of scenarios here at the end of the day. So that's how you how you sort of translate between which which version you're in. Kind of, yeah. I mean, there's an optical graph. There's an, a somewhat obvious sort of graphical change that happens in a lot of these games, um, especially in the case of some games are. Um, updated for newer versions here. So like uh, Ocarina, uh, so the Ocarina of Time, which was... It's a little like World World of Warcraft sort of changing flavors every once in a while? Um, well, very similar actually, probably, yeah. Because again, um, each game kind of has their own unique-ish mechanic, but often takes a lot of credit from other games. So like the boomerang is almost, off, almost always a staple. Bombs are a staple. Bow and arrows are staples. Um... A grapple shot. And you, you say that because I because I always that's one of the things I link with it is the bow and arrows. Yes, the bow and arrows. Um, a grapple hook at some point here, and various other different stuff as well from either you know power gloves or magnetic boots, and then occasionally different games will have um, other additional sub items into it as well that are that you know that are unique your... to them. Mm -hmm. So. Um, but again, there's been a mainline Zelda game for every single every single system here at the end of the day. Um, you know, going ranging basically from the Nintendo system, original Nintendo system, even up to the Switch here now. 
not very commonly there's your two games, but sometimes there are two games in the same uh, generation here, but not common. Okay. So I want to talk to you about the story, but I also want to talk to you about the games because the way The Legend of Zelda's timeline works as far as when the game, where the games fall on the timeline is strange. Okay. Um, so, there is, so there's a very clear outline that Nintendo has ordered in which the games fall into. Because again, like I said before, the Zelda characters here from Zelda, Link, and Ganon all are either reincarnations of themselves or are new individuals of their lineage. So Princess Zelda is always usually Princess Zelda. Link is always either some sort of like farmhand, blacksmith's kid, you know, traveling knight, you know, some variation on that. And Ganon's usually always just Ganon. You know? Is Ganon good or evil? He's he's a bad guy. Okay. Yeah. So so he's he's sort of the Doctor Robotnik of yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So he would be yeah. the main antagonist. He's your Bowser or your okay uh, Doctor Robot Doctor Robotnik of the series here. Okay. Um. So the initial story of Zelda here is primarily set in the world of set in the setting Kingdom of Hyrule. So, um. And Link himself, Princess Zelda is usually the princess of Hyrule at the end of the day. Link's some sort of uh, denizen of Hyrule. And then obviously Ganon is uh, also a, a denizen of, of Hyrule at some point or another as well. Um, so the initial set of stories start with Skyward Sword, which was the 2011 Wii U title that came out. Um, in this version here, it takes place actually before Hyrule ever existed. And takes place in a where in a world where humans actually live in the sky. Of course, and they live of in course the, they do. Well, okay. Of course they do. Mm -hmm. So they live in skies where there's like full island sky islands at the end of the day, and you transvert and you traverse the world on these giant birds. They're skyloft birds. They kind of look like um, oh, what's the, there's the, what's the weird bird that kind of has this like kind of looks like a seagull but not stork. Not quite a stork. Um, there's, 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 they're, they're called loft birds at the end of the day. Okay, well, let me look up a loft bird, and I'll tell you what it kind of looks like. I'm, I'm good here. So a loft bird. And then it's always probably good to just look up Zelda along the way. They're called loft wings. Loft. Oh, it's like a shoebill. It looks the beak looks like a shoebill stork. Yeah, so that's I think that's literally what they're based off of. Yeah, it's a shoebill stork. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so this is the birds that they travel traverse upon. Um, the story here setting basically kind of tells the initial setting of the founding of Hyrule, um, also kind of the lineage of where Zelda herself comes from. So Zelda. Um, so I'm going to throw out a bunch of words for you here. They'll make sense eventually, I promise. She she has elfin ears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the characters have kind of more. A lot of the human, a lot of the characters here have more um, elf or elf like qualities to them. Um, so in the world here of Hyrule, there is a power force called the Triforce, made up of three different pieces, known as the Triforce of Wisdom, the Triforce of Courage, and the Triforce of Power. When all three of them are to, are put together, you can ask for a single wish of the goddesses at the end of the day, who will grant it for you? Now that could be, you know, everlasting peace for a period of time or 
riches beyond your wildest, you know, dream or resurrecting other people here occasionally. Like, it's kind of an om omni-wish-granting device at the end of the day. Um, which usually not all put together, though, typically. Um, in this case here, Zelda is actually the reincarnation of another goddess known as Helia, where they get the Hyrule name from. Helia was the um, goddess who was protecting the Triforce. She couldn't use the Triforce herself, but um, was its original guardian. She eventually gave up her divinity in order to be able to create, you know, in order to be able to cast a wish upon it, which was to seal away an evil, an evil villain called Demise, which was this monster at the end that's of the day. That's a cold name. Demise? Yeah. Yeah. It's eventually, so that's eventually what becomes Ganon at the end of the day. Um, I will be your demise. Yeah. And so what ends up happening here is that um, in order to grant her wish here, she you know lets herself die because she's no longer divine anymore, but promises that she'll come back in a future life. This is the reincarnation of Zelda here, and all future Zelda lines are basically reincarnations of Helia here at the end of the day. So she's not just... A princess, she's of sorts a goddess. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, they confer certain powers upon her. Um, one of the things, again, for being able to have this resurrection sort of uh, ability here at the end of the day was also the creation of what we now know as the Master Sword, which is kind of the most powerful sword in the game that you can ever get, essentially. Um, but in the entire purpose of this was to actually be able to use the Triforce, of, the Triforce at the end of the day to seal Ganon's uh, demise for a period of time until, you know, future generations could be prepared to seal it again. So eventually what happens here is that uh, Zelda falls to the surface world, which is very much just a normal surface. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and over the course of the events here, Link, you know, goes to save her, um, but finds out that Zelda's actually, you know, this goddess at the end of the day, pretty much. And that she's actually there to protect the entire world against another demon at the end of the day. Demise. Um, well, long story short, eventually she succeeds in defeating him. Uh, or they succeed in defeating him and then they all move down to the kingdom down there. But Demise basically says, like, I'm going to do the same reincarnation thing you, that Hylia does. So I'm going to come back eventually as well. Who we know as Ganon. Uh, and so this is one of the main line... Um, Nintendo games here. I've played it before and had a lot of fun with it. The Skybird is a lot of fun to pilot. Oh, I get to pilot a bird? Yes, you would pilot. You would get to pilot the, the, a bird when you fly through it. It's very cool. Can I do loop-de-loops? Um, well, you won't get the... Fl that's only if you're playing the Skyward Sword version. You will, you'll be playing Breath of the Wild, so I don't think there's a bird analog for that. Okay. I want to do loop-de-loops. The next, uh, so, I, so I get to fly a bird. Uh, not not in Skyward Sword or, oh, okay. or in Skyward Sorry. Sword, yes, but not in Breath of the Wild, unfortunately. Okay. But you do get to um, you do get kind of like a hang glider thing going on. Well, so, I can do that. So you get to like I've, done, I've, I've flown a micro light. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you get these gusts of wind, and you have like a parachute sort of thing that you kind of glide around with, and can get further along with them. Um, the next two games are a series of Game Boy games released in two thousand two and two thousand four. Um, you have the Minish Cap, which basically lets you, you know, which is another version of Link somewhere along, along the line. A lot of the Game Boy games don't deal with Ganon at all. They just deal with Link for the most part. Um, or if they do happen to have Zelda along with her, 
with him. She's not a damsel in distress, I guess is the better way to put it. She's more of a uh, sidekick in some cases. Okay. Um, the Minish Cap basically uh, talks about a hat that lets the link at the link in this version shrink down to a small size and transverse, you know, the Minish world, which is kind of like a tiny world. You know, so like if you were like Minish sounds tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like a you know a minuscule. Mm-hmm. The hat's kind of weird looking as well. Uh, Four Swords is an interesting one. So this was actually a remake, also of A Link to the Past, the Super Nintendo title for the Game Boy Advance. Um, but what's main feature here at the end of the day with Four Swords was that it was a first attempt at multiplayer in um, Zelda. At the end of the day, do games like that do well in multiplayer? Um, I think they work better as a party game because keep in mind, in order to be able to play a four player game of this, you had to have four of the people that had the game as well. You know, I think of party games. I think, I think of Mario Kart. I think of Mario Kart too. Um, it's just that I think trying to play the game with four, with three other people and having the link cable as well back in the day, you know, like I had the link cable and I was a big time player at school. For having really? the link cable, yeah. Oh, cool. The link cable was a big deal. I think I remember buying the link cable. Mm-hmm. I think it was a gift. Probably. Yeah. Because, uh, again, I mean, back in the day, you need that link cable in order to be able to play other games with other people. But back in the day as well, you also had to, they also had to have the same game as well as you to be able to play with each other. So you had to have two copies of the same game. Yeah. Um, which, for what It's a way was, to sell games. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, especially if that's a built-in, if that's a mainline feature of it at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I think where it really kind of shined a lot of cases with Pokemon was because you could have, you know, everybody was playing it, and a big deal of that game was to, you know, trade the monsters with other people here. So it really took yeah. advantage of that cable. I don't know of any other game that did that as well. As well. Maybe outside of uh, Tetris, potentially, but... Tetris? Tetris, oddly enough, because, again, when you remember Tetris being one of the first games that came out for the Game Boy, yeah, still had the link cable that was kind of like, you know, hey, if you have two people that have Tetris, you could play together. You know, so I, I just don't see Tetris as a game you would play against somebody. Oh, there's a lot of competitions for it still to this day. Really? Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a Tetris Federation of people who play the classic Nintendo they play either the classic Game Boy game or the classic Nintendo game against each other. And they often start at, like, level, like, 19, like, one of the higher, higher levels, just because the other levels are boring because they don't move as quick. Wow. I, I, the I, things I learned. I watched a half-hour documentary on the puzzle versions of Tetris that so in Tetris there's like these puzzle get levels yeah where like you have to clear 25 lines based off of the um junk kind of space that's already there in Tetris in, junk yeah. spaces that are already yeah. kind of like there um there is a series of levels uh, level like that are near impossible to defeat even by modern day standards Oh, I'm sure. I mean, because because in order to keep people intrigued, you have to keep it challenging. Well, I mean, like, so much in challenging, so much as, like, you know, that there are Tetris masters who have won grand championships in Tetris. Is there money in this? Yes, there are. Oh, like, all, like all fun stuff, there's money in it. Okay. How much money? I don't know, but, I mean, it's, 
I would have to look into it, but I'm sure it's in the thousands. Maybe tens of thousands at most. Okay. Interesting. So the so again the big multi feature of four swords, so it was a you know, four the game was four swords was that Link pulls out a singular sword which turns him into four copies of himself. And he needed all four versions to actually um complete the game at the end of the day by, you know, seeing either all standing on the same step at the same time or each one stepping on different panels at different plot spots or you'd have to actually even pick each other up and throw each other across a ravine to get to another side maybe to open stuff up. So, we're, so that was a big that was a big one here. But then you get to the landmark game of Ocarina of Time. So this was um, when it came out in the Nintendo 64 in 1998. It, much like Super Mario had transitioned to the 62 3D, was also a transition from 2D to 3D as well. Now, when I think of Ocarina, I think of... of uh, a flute. The, yeah, the Incan, the Incan uh, like little, clay... Yes. Clay flutes. Yes, that's literally what... That's, that's, I have some. Mm-hmm. So the Ocarina of Time is a big feature of... You know, is... is not just the titular item of the series here, but actually a device in the game which lets you do certain abilities. So if you play a certain song, you might summon your horse. Really? Or, mm-hmm, or what you might do is you might change uh, the weather from being nice weather to bad weather. Or what you might do is you play it and it gets you out of the dungeon right away. Open stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the different songs you might play... Um, confer different things for you at the end of the day. And and one of those being here is the Song of Time, which lets you actually go back in time a little bit or summons you to the Temple of Time. Now, the story of Ocarina of Time here is that um, this is... Link's probably only about, uh, give or take, like maybe nine, ten years old. And Ganon's, this is Ganon's first attempt at conquering the kingdom of Hyrule. And so Link actually gets a bunch of stuff together to eventually go to the castle um, where Gan- where Ganon is actually chasing after Zelda, who's actually running away from the castle at this point. And what ends up happening is that Link actually has to venture through the Temple of Time and find the Master Sword. As a 10-year-old. As a 10-year-old. He has to actually pull the sword out in order to be able to travel to the future... Very Arthurian. Mm-hmm. Seven years in the future. And he becomes adult Link at that point. And he actually has to save the adult version of Zelda because they don't know where Zelda is in his time frame at all when he was ten, when he was nine, ten okay. years old. Um, Zelda actually appears as another character known as Sheik, who is like a ninja, I guess, at the end of the day, uh, but is in hiding. So, But ninjas hide well. They do. Um, but Ocarina of Time was interesting because, again, not only did you have this kind of time-traveling sort of element here where um, if you did something as a child, it would show up in the future at the end of the day, so you could kind of plant stuff ahead of time to reward you later on in the future. Um, there were certain places you could only visit as young Link versus older Link. You could only visit other places because he's obviously taller and can reach them. Um, the world actually, actually also changed a little bit as well between the adult Link and the child link at the end of the day so if you went back to a place you would visit it as a child and you saw them again as an adult they would be like wow link you've you've been gone for so long like you've you've grown too wow amazing 
So uh, time time has passed, and and the characters react to that. Okay. Um, and again, Ocarina of Time was really was kind of a somewhat of a groundbreaking game for that generation here. Um, but it's also an interesting notion here where it, it offered a lot more story elements that wasn't pre, in the previous games here at all either. Um, so if you go back in time here, the, the games that had been out before this had been the first two Nintendo games. Um, you also had A Link to the Past, which offered some story elements but not a holistic story at the end of the day. Um, and then Ocarina of Time actually developed a lot of the story here. It's where we get a lot of the um, topics of the... Gerudo race, which is the race that Ganon is from, which is primarily led by female warriors, Amazons. Oh, cool. Which is kind of like cool. Um, you have the uh, Gorin, which are kind of like these rock-sorted people at the end of the day that live in the mountains. Um, you have the Kukuri, uh, Kukuri, which are the forest sort of uh, fairy people at the end of the day. So they're like... Elves? They're, yeah, they're basically elves, but they all stay as children the entire time. Oh. They don't, they don't age past children. Um, and then you have the Zora. Santa, which, Santa's workshop. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Zora, which are kind of like fish people at the end of the day. Okay, so a question for you. Mm-hmm. In 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 the, the timeline of development, where does this hit? How long has, has Zelda been around by the time this comes out? So in, in, in America here, we got Zelda about 1988. So it would have been about just 10 years. It would have been like the 10-year anniversary at this point. But okay. in reality, it's really like the... Only about the fourth or fifth mainline game in the series here, um, unless you count, you know, which we'll, ta- we'll talk about A Link's Awakening, which is actually a pretty cool story at the end of the day as well. Um, but this would have been only about the fourth game in the series here at this point. But if that's over ten years, that's that's like a game every two years or well, every three years. Well, again, the first game came out in in Japan came out would have come out for us here in the states in nineteen. 19- 87, 88, with the next game followed a year be, a year after that in 1989. Then you had A Link to the Past in 1991, and then you had seven years between the next one. Oh. Don't, yeah. Well, at that point, I would have thought it was abandoned. You would, you would feel that way. Um, the same thing happened with Metroid, where Metroid's last major game would have been in 1992, and then it come back around to almost 2004, 12 years later. What, what caused that? Um, part of which was that, um, in the case of Metroid here, Metroid had like its banger game of Super Metroid that came out in, um, to the, it came out in 1992. Uh-huh. Um, but as they moved into the, the, to the 3D era here and the Nintendo 64, um, during that period in that generation... Nobody really figured out a good version of, you know, shooting games necessarily just yet. And this is a shooting game. Yeah, and Metroid is, you know, basically you have a blast that you shoot, not unlike Mega Man at the end of the day. Now, Mega Man, you had Mega Man Legends, which was an attempt to kind of continue on the Mega Man legacy at the end of the day in a 3D world. Uh, But even the people of Mega Man Legends quickly found out, it was like, this kind of works, but it doesn't at the same time. Um, and for Metroid, which is a sort of cavern, sort of like, you know, traversing giant map sort of situation, like, it, they kind of figured out that, like, they needed to wait a little bit before, little, they needed to wait until they could figure out how to do it best. Okay. In Zelda's case here, um, once the initial Zelda was, once A Link to the Past was released in 1991, um, 
development in earnest actually was already starting on um, Ocarina of Time. It's just that the R&D team that was in charge of it here, especially Shigeru Miyamoto, was primarily working on Super Mario first. And especially in the case of Super Mario being the flagship title, you know, was going to yeah. make or break or it was going to make and break the Nintendo 64. If that game doesn't work, you might as well call the, the entire the whole console. thing off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think, I think the, the seven year gap between when a link to the past and Ocarina of time came out, um, was beneficial because the team working on, on that Zelda had a lot of time to iterate and see what really worked. Um, and especially learning a lot well, of and Mario Kart, I would imagine pushed a lot of things, a lot of technologies forward. Too. Yeah. Yep. So, so Mario 64 did push quite a number of, of of the technology and was also again the first time anybody really did that in like earnest in that sort of uh, that sort of nature here as well because mario kart some some of the things you can do in there are pretty mm-hmm. well again not I even mean, just intricate the jump, i don't know how well i mean do. even just the look of everything was very kind of unique at the time um in mario 64 here because you know we you know a lot of people had seen 3d graphics before in some cases here um but in this sort of setting here, it was like, wow, Mario looks like what Mario looks like, you know. And it would eventually get refined and refined over time. Well, and to me, it's 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 what happens when you crash. It's what happens when you when you do certain actions. The, mm-hmm. How fully immersive re- and re- realistic it feels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, Zelda Ocarina of Time for the N sixty four was very similar to that as well. I mean, even just being able to ride your horse around was kind of cool so um but this is where we deviate a little bit so the zelda people claim that the ocarina of time has three branching timelines that are based off of it that that kind of divide the rest of the remaining games that come out that have come out for 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 um the zelda timeline here since then Who, who are the zelda people um they're Basically, elf Hyrulean humans, I guess, is the best way to put it. I mean, they're humans, but they have slightly pointier ears, so they kind of have elf-like qualities. Okay. But they're not like giant elf ears like Lord of the Rings. They're more like just, oh, these humans have pointy ears. Okay. So. We're not Orlando Bloom. No, no, no. Not Orlando Bloom yet. Okay. Um, but in Ocarina of Time, there are three diverging timelines here. There's the uh, child timeline the adult timeline, and then the fallen hero timeline. So the child timeline assumes that at the end of Ocarina of Time, you defeat Ganon at the end of the day. Link returns the Master Stone, uh, the Master Sword to its pedestal that it originally sits on, and he goes back in time to when he was a kid and lives out the rest of his future from there. So that's kind of like the good ending at the end of the day. Okay. Uh, the adult timeline uh, presumes that after the end of Ocarina of Time, um, Link actually goes back in time, but he disappears along the way. Nobody knows where what happened to him. He just kind of like stopped being a hero and just kind of led a quiet life at that point. Zelda's the one who actually returns the Master Sword to the pedestal at the end of the day in that timeline. And then the Fallen Hero timeline presumes that Link actually failed and was actually defeated by Ganondorf, and the Master Sword again gets lost in this time in this timeline. Um, and that a series of sages had to actually lock away Ganon in order to be able to stop him from, you know, completing his master plan at the end of the day. 
So each one of these different timelines has a slightly different sort of uh, outcome that happens. So in the child timeline, we actually get um, an almost direct sequel to um, to Ocarina of Time, which again, not common in not very common in a lot of the Zelda stories here. Um, and this is Majora's Mask, which is also very favorably remembered at the end of the day. Um, the story of Majora's Mask is basically that at the end of the first game, uh, there was this kind of helper character named Navi that kind of floated around you and told you stuff um, in Ocarina of Time. Well, uh -huh. she's disappeared from Link. And so Link as a child, now as a nine-year-old, is out trying to find um, Navi once again and stumbles upon this this guy, this kid named the Skull Kid, who's wearing a possessed mask known as Majora's Mask. So, a, 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 a stupid question. No. Um, when Link goes back to his child self after having been an adult, mm -hmm. does he remember his adult life? Yes. Okay. So he remembers the adventures of him being an adult, but he doesn't necessarily remember all the events that happened in between there because he hasn't lived that yet. That's why I was wondering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, like it's it's like he pulled it, it's like he pulled up the sword and then was kind of like frozen in time and then released again seven years later, as if he was still just unpulling pulling out the sword, but somehow an adult now. Okay. Yeah. Good figure. All right. Just wondering how you do that. I I know too. Um, but Majora's Mask is actually kind of interesting because um, this guy, this this demon that's possessing possessing the mask, which is possessing um, this kid at the end of the day, has decided that basically the best thing to do in the world is to cause the moon in the sky to crash down in this one city via apocalypse. Um, and Link only has three days to stop it from happening. But Link fails. And the only way he can actually stop the event from actually happening is by playing the Song of Time on his ocarina, which allows him to start back at the very beginning of day one. So in the game, there's an internal clock that happens that basically outlines the, the days that you're going through and how many playthroughs you've had. Um, and so the idea here is that each time you play through the game, you either get, um, you either know more about the stuff that's going to happen, so you can plan your, you can make yourself more efficient, or powers and abilities you've gotten already will now unlock new areas because you're able to go back in time and revisit those areas. Um, there are certain events that only happen at certain time frames as well, so certain stuff that only happens on day two in the afternoon versus stuff that happens on day one in the afternoon. Um, so it was very interesting in that particular respect, especially from this notion of you can keep going back uh, like Groundhog style and redoing everything with the knowledge that you have, um, but you still have to plan out your day accordingly and get through everything in a, in a Well, do you fashion. have the tools that you gained when you go back and redo it? Yes, you get some of those tools. You get to keep some of those tools. Like one of the new features that you get is all these different masks at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And some of these masks either give you the ability to either see certain stuff or be able to interact in, with stuff in a different way. Some change you into an entirely different creature entirely. So you can, you know, you, you might become a Goron, which is these big kind of rock dudes, and you turn to a ball and you spin Sonic the Hedgehog style through stuff. Um, one of them... That'd be kind of cool. One of them turns you into a, a Zora, which is like the fish people, so you're almost like a mermaid on a certain level. I'd like to be a mermaid. Mm -hmm. yeah. a again... It was a very interesting game for what the time was. Um, 
But was but was what was kind of interesting about the game, and there's a lot of parallels where people think that the game is actually talking about Link's death at the end of the day, actually. How him repeating the cycle constantly is him trying to um, save as many people, but it's actually trying to talk about his own death. Now, the creators um, are ambiguous about this notion because I think there's a lot more people reading into it necessarily, but... That is the the theory at the end of the day that this. But if is... it gets people talking about your game, you don't really care. No, we, we they really don't. Um, the next one in this series of timeline is actually probably one of my more favorite games, which is Twilight Princess. So um, in this version of the game, again, Ganon has been defeated. He's been sealed. You know, they are attempting to. Um... I should also kind of mention the Triforce here as well because I think I'm missing this here. Um, in Ocarina of Time, uh, the Triforce is split evenly between Ganon has the Triforce of Power, Zelda has the Triforce of Wisdom, Link has the Triforce of Courage. So they kind of have it within themselves that they all share the Triforces they can eventually Not unlike the Wizard of Oz. Similar to Wizard of Oz, yeah. Because one of them has a heart, one of them has a brain. One of them has courage. Courage. Yes. Um, and not, again, not too dissimilar to that as well. The idea of the Triforce of Wisdom is to give you um, understanding of everything that's happening. Triforce of Power confers power onto you. Triforce of Courage makes you more courageous to actually fight other things. Um, but the idea here was that um, Ganon was defeated and they attempted to execute Ganon, but they couldn't kill him at the end of the day because he has the Triforce of Power on him. So they banished him into this realm known as the Twilight Realm. Where when Ganon got there, basically took over the place and kicked out its ruler, Midna, out of there. Okay, Mid- kind of like kicking out Hades. Yeah. Okay. Um, basically, and so several generations later, there's a new Princess Zelda, there's a new Link. Uh, but Ganon basically travels through the Twilight Realm onto our realm and basically, you know, set lo- sets loose all these evil... Uh, twilight creatures at the end of the day that basically take over their world at the end of the day. Creating these also pocket dimensions known as the, that are veiled in what what they call twilight, which is kind of just basically a dark world, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, what's interesting about it here is that um, Minna herself exists as shadows, which can talk to people, primarily Link. But when Link travels into the twilight realm, he turns into a wolf. Oh, wolf. A wolf. So he turns into a that wolf. That seems kind of random. A little random, yeah. Um, he turns into a wolf, but what ends up happening here is that Midna can exist in the Twilight Realms and so rides him like a horse almost. So there's certain things that Wolf Link can do that Human Link can't do. Um, and eventually what ends up happening here is that you travel through this Twilight version of the area first as a wolf. And then once you... Remove the twilight from the area. You're able to retransverse it as a human link is, is again, and then visit the dungeon and defeat the dungeon there to get new power ups and abilities from there. So this is constant again. So it's this constant state of being either like in a light world and a dark world, uh, but then also having your own gameplay kind of like deviate between two different modes. You have like a wolf link, which is, has different kind of powers and abilities, versus the more traditional human human link at the end of the day. Um, it's eventually revealed. It's, it's, I mean, some somebody's really clever though with with coming up with all this. Mm-hmm. It's pretty. That's it's pretty intricate. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
So not not Zelda related here, but when they were making um, so they were coming out with a new Metroid game in two thousand four two thousand five. Um, Shigeru Miyamoto's big breakthrough on that game, telling the actually American creators of the game because the Americans were making the game. Uh-huh. Um, a company known as Retro Studios was making the Metroid game. He basically went to them and said, like, hey, what if Sandwich could change their head like a bug's head? And what he actually meant is, what if you could see different stuff from your visor and get new and see different stuff? Oh, like, like eyes. Yes. Like bug eyes. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening there was that um, the t- titular character of Samus was now able to um, have like an e- a thermal vision and an x-ray vision, which would let you see different stuff at the end of the day. So some enemies, you know, you can only see via the x-ray vision, and so you can see um, either weak points or you can see stuff through walls so you knew where stuff was to help you with puzzles, um, versus the thermal vision worked well for um, some enemies, which like, you know, only, you know, like as in the frost world that you're in, the thermal vision works really well because it highlights weak weak points really easily. Um, but also later on, like the thermal vision lets you see ghosts easier as well. So, I see people. Yeah. So again, Shigeru Miyamoto's got some really crazy and cool ideas that come up occasionally. This one of those things you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go, oh. This is an idea I have. What if we could do this? Mm-hmm. Um, Twilight Prince is actually also very unique in the sense that um, in most of the mainline Zelda games, um, since its initial release, Link's actually left-handed. So he carries a shield with his right hand, but he swings the sword with his left hand, and he's predominantly left-handed. But in Twilight Princess, he was right-handed. This is because Twilight Princess was also a launch title for the Nintendo Wii. And one of the big features that came with the Nintendo Wii was this notion of the remote itself being able to swing around like a sword. So with the Wii... Oh, because, and that's a whole new technology. Mm-hmm. Wow. So okay. So they purposely made him right-handed in this case here because... Most people, people are, are right-handed. Hand, yeah. And the ability to kind of confer a little bit more of swinging the sword left and right, up and down to do the different angles of attack made a big change at the end of the day. Now, if you were left-handed, you could actually switch it around so that Link was left-handed instead, which I thought was a cool feature. Um, but he started off as right-handed initially. Cool thought. I know, yeah. And then, um, so the very so the last game in the child timeline is known as the Four Sword Adventure. Um, which was another Game Boy, uh, which was a, actually a GameCube title. Um, now We had a GameCube. Yes. Now, did you know there was an attachment for the GameCube that you could use to connect to a, to a Game Boy Advance? I actually did. Mm-hmm. Because we had it. Well, so you had the base that let you play the Game Boy games on, the, on your GameCube. Oh, okay. There was Sorry. an entire different cable that let you connect your Game Boy to the game console. Oh, okay. There wasn't a huge collection of games that utilized it, but the games that did utilize it kind of gave you the ability to have a second screen kind of going on at the same time. So you could see, you could either play with other people who were playing on the screen or and then have that big master screen going on there. So as an example, um, one of the Pokemon games used it so that you picked your moves on the GBA with your Pokemon cartridge. And then when you were fighting against another person, you were fighting on the big screen in 3D, 
it would confer whatever moves you had planned out on there instead. GBA being Game Boy. The Game Boy Advance, yes. Uh, So Four Swords was kind of a continuation of where the last major Four Sword game came out. Um, Again, this one, I think, was a little bit more polished and still kind of required you to have the... um, the Game Boys and the Link Cables, but didn't require you to have the game this time, at least. So if you didn't have the game, uh, because the game was all it was originally a GameCube game, you could have basically a blank uh, Game Boy at the end of the day without any software running on it, but still be able to play the actual game on the TV. And, and, and that evolves because Switch is certainly, most of the people I know who play on a Switch actually play on the TV. Mm-hmm. Well, so what you would do is you would get actually four of your friends together, you and three other friends together, so four of you. And then what you would do is you would each have your own little screen of what was happening, but then you could look at the bigger screen uh, to kind of follow along with the main set of action here. So if you went into like a tunnel or you were kind of off screen, you would get your own private screen on your on your Game Boy, but when you were all together, you were all on the big screen together. Um, and sometimes watching that with a bunch of friends playing that um, mm-hmm. is actually kind of fun. You're all on this uh, the big screen together, not in separate cubes on the big screen mm-hmm. boxes. No, all you're all in all one big giant box that kind of expands and shrinks based off how close everybody is to each other. That's that's pretty cool. And then you can see what kind of like items and your own personal stats on your game board. So thing. so it adjusts it based on if if one person's way ahead, then the screen gets smaller. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So again, like if everyone's all a lot of technology. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, and again, great party game. I've seen um, the cast of Loading Ready Run play this game before, and it's hilarious because you're all kind of somewhat backstabbing each other because you're fighting over the ru- <laughs> you're fighting over the money in the game, which are known yeah. as rupees. Um, and then we get to the adult timeline here again. This is the events where um, Link, you know, goes back in time, but he kind of disappears from the events of time. Um, in this version of, uh, of the events here, um, Ganon is sealed away into what they call the Sacred Realm, which is basically just a bad world, a, a mirror version to our own. He gets back out, however, uh, and in the process here is trying to, trying to get to the um, Triforce at the end of the day to basically cast a wish here. But what ends up happening is that um, the Triforce has actually already been split up. Ganon has the Triforce of Power. Um, Zelda has her Triforce of Wisdom, uh, which she breaks in half and kind of puts it in separate places so that Ganon can't get it. And Link, who would have had the Triforce of Courage, well, he didn't travel back in time with it, unfortunately, and so it's shattered into eight, eight, eight different pieces and it was scattered across the world. But in this version here, um, in order to stop the... <coughs> <laughs> in order to stop Ganon at the end of the day, um, they basically pray to the goddesses who decide, oh, okay, we know how to stop uh, Ganon this time. We're going to flood the world. So they basically tell all the, they tell all the Hyrulians and people, go up to the top of the mountains. We're going to seal Ganon at, in the city of Hyrule, in the kingdom of Hyrule, under like thousands and thousands of feet of water. And so these top of these mountains now become islands at the end of the day. Um, and the big part of Wind Waker here at the end of the day is to traverse around the world in a boat 
to get to these different islands to get to your different dungeons and stuff at the end of the day. Um, what's unique about the adult timeline, oddly enough here, is that there's actually a thematic sort of cel-shaded look to Link throughout this entire time. Oh. So um, coming out of Ocarina of Time, Wind Waker would have been the next major game that came out in 2002 for the GameCube. Um, and what was promised at uh, Convention of Space World in Japan, which is kind of like RE3 here in the West, mm -hmm. um, was that um, there was a promo of Link where he was um, a lot more um, like realistic proportions at the end of the day. And the version that we ended up kind of getting of Link is a very um, cartoony version of him here at the end of the day. Um, which is not a bad thing at the end of the day, but he's I, what I tend to find is that this version is a lot more um, expressive looking in some cases. So it's been again. Oh yeah, no, it it I totally get it. It's all um, cell shaded kind of looking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's this very kind of cell shaded sort of look to uh, Link at the end of the day and all the characters. Um, everything's got this kind of kind of oversized big head. Oversized big head, big kind eyes. Of skin kind of body, skinny kind of body. You know. Yeah. It's, oddly enough, again, a lot of people did not like the look of this initially, but it grew on them, and it's become a very popular style at the end of the day now for um, Link and his um, and the world here at the end of the day. It, so, it'd be interesting to know why they chose to do that. Um, I think in a lot of cases they were taking advantage of what was um, shading technology that was available on the GameCube. Um because what was interesting here is that um, Mario, the new, the latest Mario game, hadn't come out yet. Um, when um, when the GameCube launched, they actually didn't launch with a mainline Mario game. It actually launched with a game called Luigi's Mansion. Um, and the reason it partly came out... I remember out, Luigi's Mansion. Mm -hmm. And part of what was interesting about Luigi's Mansion is that because of all the different kind of dark atmosphere and the, dark sh and the playing of shadows here... Um, they developed a lot of the shading technology to have shading in almost real time rather than having it kind of like it's a preset sort of thing here at the end of the day. So when you went underneath a tree, you literally saw the shade Shadows. of the tree. You were, you know, you got the shade of the tree underneath you and the wind and wind rustling the leaves would have changed the shadows, uh, would have moved along the shadows as well. Um, I think at the end of the day, like the cell shaded look here is a big departure from what would have been normally um, the look of Link at the end of the day. Um, but it's still a very interesting sort of style uh, as well. And I think it actually lends a lot more to Link as well, because I think it actually makes him a lot more expressive than necessarily his more realistic-looking counterpart. It's also just very kind of bright and colorful. And I, you know, there's not a lot of games that are, that are you know, truly bright and colorful in some cases. So, um, but again, the big deal here um, took a lot of aspects from uh, Ocarina of Time. So you had, instead of having the Ocarina of Time, you actually have the uh, Wind Waker, which is a conductor's wand, in which um, the idea of the conductor's wand here at the end of the day was to cause wind to travel into your sail so you can traverse the sea. You need to have the wind in your sail. If you didn't have the wind in your sail, you actually couldn't navigate at all. That's that's actually kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, so the boat you have here as well um, had a bunch of different sails that you could put onto it as well. So you, different sails would either 
allow you to sail faster. You could create um, cannons where the sail would go, where you could get uh, kind of a grapple hook sort of thing that, like, you know, fished for stuff at the very bottom. The boat was really cool in and of itself. Um, but again, um, what's interesting about this version of the game here is that um, Zelda exists and then doesn't exist. Um, so the Zelda of of Wind Waker here um, is actually a girl named uh, Tetra, mm -hmm. who um, is actually uh, a pirate. Oh. And doesn't realize she is actually Zelda at the end of the day. So her own identity is sort of hidden from herself. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually what ends up happening is that, um, yeah, so this is the initial Tetra here. And then this is the princess for Zelda. Version. Yeah. So it's kind of this interesting kind of cool, uh, you know, difference at the end of the day. Um, but what ends up happening is that um, Ganon is actually, when he resurfaces back to the surface, is actually stealing girls with pointy ears. And so he steals Link's sister, thinking she could be Zelda at the end of the day. Because Zelda knows where the Triforce of Wisdom is at. Is, yeah. Um, and then from there, um, an entire adventure happens. And she ends up realizing she is Zelda, transforms into Zelda for a little bit. Uh, but then at the very end of the game, reverts back to being Tetra at the end of the day, because that's who she knows herself to be at the end of the day. And then travels with Link to try to find a new continent to live on. So, so okay, so if she if she decides that she'd rather be Tetra, mm -hmm. okay, um, what happens to the whole concept of Zelda the princess at that point? It's just abandoned and dies? No, it actually continues onward, um, as all good reincarnation stuff does. Okay. Um, at the end of the story here, um, basically... Um, the king of Hyrule, who was actually your boat the entire time. I know, spoilers. Yeah. Um, actually, when they, Ganon actually reforms the Triforce here, and is just about to defeat Link at the end of the day when the king, you know, grabs hold of the Triforce here and basically wishes for, um, the you know, basically wishes for Ganon to be sealed away forever. And as a result here, basically crashes, you know, water again onto Hyrule and seals it away, leaving um, Ganon kind of sealed at the bottom of the uh, bottom of Hyrule of all of this water forever and ever and ever. Uh, but as a result here, Tetra and Link rise to the surface, you know, board the ship that Tetra is the captain of, her pirate ship, and then travels the many seas to try to find a new kingdom to and try to settle on a new kingdom at the end of the day. Um, which actually leads directly into the follow-up, the next follow-up game, which would have been Phantom Hourglass. Um, so this would have been a um, Nintendo dual-screen or DS game at the end of the day. Um, during the process of Tetra and Link trying to find a new world to call home, um, Tetra is somehow kidnapped and is by the king of the ocean, apparently. Who is in a bad mood, apparently. Um, as a result here, Link has to actually defeat these new creatures called phantoms um, and transverse these special dungeons which have a very limited time frame on it. Um, your phantom hourglass in this particular case is the device that keeps you from 
being um, to succumbing to these phantoms at the end of the day, but he has a certain time limit on it. And if you get either hit by these bad guys or other stuff happens to you, you could lose time um, that you would otherwise have to go through these dungeons. I didn't play this game at all, so I don't. I admittedly don't have a lot of knowledge on this one. Okay. Um, the next one is known as Spirit Track. So, um, eventually, at some point here, both Tetra and, and Link find a new kingdom to uh, reside on, and they name it New Hyrule. Hyrule. And then, hundreds of years later, uh, they come to find out that it was actually a demon living in that on that original plot of land originally that was safeguarded by a series of towers known as the Spirit Towers, and that there were actually secret, hidden spirit train tracks that linked these different towers together so you can find them that were actually keeping the demon at bay. It's getting a little convoluted. The, yeah, these the, sometimes these Game Boys games do, admittedly. I'm just, just, just saying. No, no, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Um... And the last major timeline is the Fallen Hero timeline. Um, this is where, um, at the end of the day, Link isn't able to defeat Ganondorf, and he actually falls to Ganondorf. Um, but the seven sages of the time here um, in Ocarina Time are able to uh, seal away Ganondorf for a period of time and stop him from encroaching onto the kingdom here. Um, at some point here, like Ganon keeps trying to get out of his prison and get into... Um, our world at the end of the day. Um, and so it's eventually gets to a point where it's actually draining on Hyrule's funds and, and manpower. Um, so there's a far fewer people at the end of the day and a lot less money. So Hyrule's promise um, sort of disappears. Um, so this is where we actually get to kind of some of the other games that are in the timeline here. So the first one here being um, A Link to the Past. Uh, in this one here, there's a uh, wizard that kind of shows up to solve a bunch of the stuff, some of the mishaps that are kind of happening around the world, around the kingdom at that this point. Um, only for the wizard to eventually brainwash all the guards and become the priest of Hyrule, um, which allows him to gain access to the maidens, the six maiden maidens, which are actually the descendants of the sages, and I'll explain where sages come from here in a little bit. Okay. Um, and Zelda, but the the reason they need he needs all of them is to be able to summon Ganon back into their world. Um, what ends up happening here in this case is that um, because the Triforce was sealed away with Ganon, it's not readily available, so you can't just wish this away okay. as you uh, normally would. But... Um, what ends up, in this case, what happens here with A Link to the Past, which actually doesn't revolve around the past at all, oddly enough. Um, but I think it's the past in the sense that this game um, is setting prior to what would have been the, um, the Nintendo games originally, um, where Link is actually transversing between their his normal world and then this dark world, which is basically the same world overlay, just things are slightly moved around ever so slightly. Uh, by transversing and going into the Dark World, Link is able to go and save the various Maidens and Zelda, um, and then stop not only the wizard, but um, Ganon at the end of the day. And actually, they reclaim the Triforce at the end of the day uh, from Ganon and are actually able to banish him away long-term again. Okay. 
It's getting complicated. It is. But again, this is a whole new timeline at the end of the day. They, they, again, some of these earlier games were very somewhat convoluted, as were um, a lot of the mainline games were a little less so, I think. Uh, but again, remember that these are all different games. Um, but but they're this okay. The same same. Okay, so how I mean, okay, so you 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 quantify them as different games. Mm-hmm. Um, how how different are they? Um, it's like how do I put this? So if you remember how there's like Sonic 1 and then there's Sonic 2, they're very similar games, but new gameplay elements and different stuff kind of happens in them. Uh-huh. Um, it, wouldn't be in, it wouldn't be unfair to say like it's a lot different from where um, Sonic the Hedgehog, or excuse me, Super Mario in Super Mario 64 versus Super Mario Sunshine versus Super Mario... Odyssey versus Super Mario Galaxy. I mean, like, they're all the same concept of Mario running around in this 3D space. Uh, but there's different sort of either gameplay elements, different features of the game that are not necessarily common in all the other ones at the end of the day. So, like, Galaxy's big thing was that you had these gravitational planets at the end of the day that you could kind of circumnavigate by moving literally around the planets. Versus... Um, Super Mario Sunshine was all about this water mechanic where you had to clean up graffiti by spraying water on it. And then you have Super Mario Odyssey, which is all about the hat taking over other creatures, which allows Mario to do different and unique things, like become a Tyrannosaurus Rex for a short period of time. Um, Because everybody thought he should be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. You know, I would love to see a Tyrannosaurus Rex with a mustache and a Mario hat at the end of the day. Um, you you and you and me both. Mm-hmm. Well, again, in, in Super Mario Odyssey. Yeah. Um, but each one of these games, while they're different and unique, add either a new flavor or element to it here. So, like, uh, Twilight Princess added this notion of, you know, what if Link was a wolf? You know, sort of element here. Um, later games, like... Um, Majora's, you know, again, Majora's Mask was one of these things of what happens if you change, if you wear different masks, what does it do for you? Do you change into somebody else? Do you get new powers as a result of it? Um, you then you have uh, Wind Waker, which is all about, you know, what if, what if the world was, what if you weren't riding a horse to get around the world? What if you were riding a boat? And so each game has kind of their own new things that happen to it. Um, now, in the case of uh, a link to the past at the end of the day, um, mostly trying to go over the story beats, but the big the big feature of a link to the past was this notion of a light world and a dark world, where the two worlds are basically laid over are are overlaid on each other. Uh huh. Um, but the dark world would be like, oh, instead of this stairway over here, it's slightly over to the left even, so it allows you to get up to that to that one place you couldn't get to beforehand. Then if you went back to the light world, oh hey, you're in that higher place that you were beforehand, but now you can keep going forward a little well, bit. Well, and light is always above and dark is always below. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, this idea of being able to transverse different places at the end of the day. Um, you get to 1993, about two years after the first uh, mainline, uh, after the first um, portable game, actually, which is very interesting in that Link's Awakening wasn't meant to be a game at the end of the day. What was it meant to be? 
it was literally um, so. Apparently, one of the programmers at Nintendo really wanted to see if, if he could test his skills and was trying to recreate a Legend of Zelda, the original Nintendo game, on the Game Boy. And eventually, this kind of project sort of got a little out of hand where he was working on it in private after work. So, like, everybody would clock out at like six o'clock here. And, right. And, but he would, he would kind of stay around the Behind office. Behind the scenes. Yeah, he was just kind of diddling around with this, trying to test the skill at, at, at the Game Boy. Trying to see if he could program this, all of what was the original Zelda, into the Game Boy at the end of the day. Somebody else eventually found out what he was doing and started working along with him. Again, this was all just a, a passion project at the end of the day, just for fun. No, Never a game intended to come out of it. But eventually, so many people were on board with it here that like, they eventually... Um, that uh, there was enough people on board on working on it after work that higher ups in Nintendo were basically like, "What are you guys doing?" And they saw what they were doing. It's like, "Oh wow, hey, we can make Zelda for the for the Game Boy. Cool, let's do it." See, I would think it would be so so graphics challenged because that green Game Boy screen is so small. Oh yes, yes. The original one was very very tiny, and um, a lot of what what. So well, a lot of what was at the time the Zelda had these very defined sort of square layouts at the end of the day that you would just transition yeah. from one to another, and that traveled transferred a lot over from the um, to the Game Boy as well. But the screen being very tiny necessitated that a lot of the world was even smaller. So while you'd have a lot of space on a television by chance, the Game Boy screen was a lot smaller. Yeah, um, but they were able to also do a lot more interesting things here. So they had a lot more of these. Um, like they had, they were able to introduce a lot more of the elements from like Mario as an example that were there. So like Mm -hmm. one of the items was a feather, which lets you jump really high, which would have been, um, similar to Super Mario World, which you had a feather and you could fly at that point. Um, there's even a chain chomp in there at one point that's kind of guarding stuff. Interesting enough, uh, Link's Awakening is kind of interesting in that, um, the storyline for this is basically right after A Link to the Past, Link is actually going off in training to figure out what, so that way he can be prepared again when the next Ganon-level disaster comes by. Um, on his way back home... Link he, adult or Link? Link, child, Link? Link of A Link to the Past. He would have been okay. a, a child. A, okay. A child or maybe a teenager at this point, okay. I guess, maybe. Um, but this version of Link um, shipwrecks onto an island... Um, and in order to get off the island, he needs to collect eight different instruments and wake up the, the, the wind fish at the very top of the mountain to be able to leave the island because the waves are too high otherwise. Um, meanwhile, you know, mean, so it's kind of, an, it's a very kind of straightforward version of the game, um, that had a lot of kind of neat little inch items on it. And it actually got remade, uh, on the switcher. Uh, just either like a year or two ago. Um, so it's actually really pretty in this particular case it carries over a lot of what was the charm of that uh, original 2D era, and the uh-huh. characters are even kind of uh, cutesier looking than they were in the shell-shaded shell shell cell version of Wind Waker. God, I'm trying to say that five times fast. Shell-shaded version. Yeah, <laughs> no, that is, that is a challenge. Um, so again, it's it's a lovely game. It's one of those games in which I said if it was your first Zelda, I, I actually recommend 
uh, Link's Awakening if it weren't for the fact that it's also still like a forty it's a forty dollar game still because um, they added you know because in the advancement of being able to have back in the Game Boy day there was only two buttons. Now that you have a couple different buttons, there's a lot more opportunity into the game, and they, yeah, and one and, of the, and you take advantage of what you have for opportunity. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And then what was interesting about Link to the Past here, is, or excuse me, a Link's Awakening, was that um, if you combine different weapons together, so you because you could use two weapons, right. two different items at once, um, you could have like the wand and the uh, lantern, and that would create fireballs. Versus if you had the rod and like a water bucket you create bubbles so different combinations of weapons netted you different um effects at the end of the day beyond just having your sword and shield at the end of the day so there's a lot of um opportunities there um the next set of games um i'll kind of just brush through quickly because they're all game boy games um so you have oracles of season and ages um which kind of steals a lot from the uh, a link to the past of having a life world and dark worlds. Um, in ages, you traveled from the past to the present, back and forth to transverse different parts of the world. Uh, versus Oracle of Seasons gave you the ability to change the seasons around, which would, if it was a summer season, maybe you had a lot more easy access to get through something. Versus um, if it was winter, it might be blocked off by the snow. More obstacles. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you're in the summertime, though you can't traverse the river because it's going too fast versus if it's wintertime, it's ice, so you can transverse it easily. So you can change the time, you can change the seasons around to... Can you time travel? Um, in in the Oracle of Ages, you could. So these are these were two separate games, essentially. Um, when they were being developed, originally, there were supposed to be three games, um, but they found the password system uh, difficult to utilize between three games, so they just limited it down to two. Um, in a link between worlds here, again, it's, um, Ganon trying to come back out of, out of, uh, whole cloth here. Um, what's interesting about this game is that, um, all Zelda and all the different maidens are actually transported into individual paintings and Link has the ability to flat himself into like ink and go along walls in order to skip through different stuff. So, like, you might dodge something by flattening yourself against the wall and becoming a part of the wall. Or you might be able to uh, cross a chasm at the end of the day by um, turning into, going onto the wall and literally walking across it. So, kind of a cool effect there. Um, You have the almost ridiculously uh, preface game of Triforce, uh, Triforce Heroes. Um, where Link travels to um, a different continent at the end of the day, and uh, he meets two other people. So this is another version attempt at trying to do the multiplayer again. Uh-huh. Um, but this one is all, all revolves around uh, costumes. The literal premise of the game here is that an evil witch has uh, forced the princess of this kingdom here uh, Hiptopia to only wear an irremovable brown jumpsuit. Inremovable? Inremovable brown jumpsuit. And she is so horrified by wearing this jumpsuit that she refuses to come out of the castle, which is leading to the entire kingdom going into distress. 
And so your job as Link and two of your friends at the end of the day um, are to collect these different wardrobe and outfits so that you could remove, you know, you could stop the evil witch, just put this irremovable brown jumpsuit on this princess and, you know, it's, again, it's, that sounds so ridiculous. That's okay, as long as the premise works. Uh, yep. And, and does it work? I don't know. It's, it's, each one of the different uh, costumes at the end of the day converses a different power on you. Um, in some cases, you might wear a different costume in your group to kind of uh, get a synergy. So, like, you might wear a costume that you know, generates uh, HP for everybody more commonly versus another person might wear a costume that allows you to pull uh, more bombs more likely. Um, so if you have, you know, so if everybody kind of coordinated what they were wearing at the end so of the day. So it would require you worked with others to take advantage of whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So there's, there was an interesting aspect to that. I think it's a, a much better utilization of the multiplayer aspect um, than other versions have. Because one of the things you can do is you can um, stand on top of each other to reach higher places to shoot, either shoot or grab objects from higher locations at the end of the day. So, so, and this is an overall question. Um, obviously, multiplayer must be must be tremendously popular if if everybody's trying to create for it. It's ever it's. I think what's a real benefit to multiplayer, um, which has definitely become a lot more common in um, at least the last couple of decade, last uh, decade here, is that. Um, Multiplayer means multiple people have to buy the game. And then if multiple people buy the game, they're more likely, they'll be able to play with one another, which will mean that there, there are chances for them to continue playing the game for a lot longer than they would if it was just a single player game. Because so yeah, the, the idea there being is that if you're able to, it's like going to the gym. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Um, I, I just... I, I mistakenly think of playing video games as a very insular sort of thing. And what you're describing to me is telling me that it really isn't. It also depends a lot on the genre at the end of the day. I mean, I think there's a lot of games that work really well as single-player games at the end of the day um, versus some games that really only work well for if you're in a multiplayer setting. Um, I think you could play Mario Kart as an example on your own, but it's a whole heck of a lot more fun if uh, you're playing yeah. with other people. yeah. Um, which is in which is kind of the you know same thing with Mario Party at the end of the day. You, again, you can play Mario Party on your own, um, but there's a certain advantage in in energy that you get from playing with multiple people. And I think especially when you get to the handheld um, games at the end of the day, that it's far more likely that you might see more people with the game and will come across them and be able to play with them uh, versus if you all want to pay play, you know, Mario Kart, you'd all have to be in the same room together at the same house, you know, and you might be only able to do that, you know, once a week for maybe an hour or two or a couple hours versus you might be able to play with each other on uh, on your, your Game Boys or your DSs all together um, far more commonly, you know, after school for an hour or two maybe, you know, or on the playground or something if, you know, but I don't think anybody had them on the playground. For fear of losing them, or having them stolen. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so this. I mean, and again, it's interesting that they've experimented with multiplayer in um, Zelda before, because Zelda itself being feels like a very 
um, single player game at the end of the day, you know, in, in which a lot of their mainline games are. Um, so the Fallen Hero timeline finishes with the original Zelda and um, the second Zelda game, uh, Adventures of Link. Um, the original Zelda game being the formation of the Triforce of Wisdom. Right. And then, um, and defeating of Ganon permanently at that point. Well, uh, the second mainline game, Adventures of Link, um, actually takes more of a page from the Super Mario being a 2D sort of setting. Um, but is the story of getting the Triforce of Courage together, now having all three Triforces together and being able to um, awaken a slumbering Zelda from much, much earlier in the in the game series. Oh, okay. So, so apparently, so the timelines really skip around. Yes. So yeah, the, 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 yeah. When I so each one of these games, unless it's directly related to the last game, in some cases, happen like hundreds of years later on. And so a lot of these games don't even you know so. Um, in some cases here, like the only games that really kind of play off each other one after another is um, Ocarina of Time to Majora's Mask, um, Link's Awakening or Link to the Past to A Link Awakening, um, Wind Waker to Phantom Hourglass, and then um, the first the first Zelda to the second Zelda in some cases. Um, but then we get to the very final timeline here, which is known as the Great Calamity timeline. Um, which is supposed to be the very end of all Zelda timelines, apparently. Okay. Um, which doesn't prevent them from going back and doing something in a past timeline. No, 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 not at all. Um, at some point here, 10,000 years before the events of Breath of the Wild, um, the uh, denizens of Hyrule were visited by a tribe known as the Shika tribe, which gave them all this amazing technology, essentially. Um and as a result, they were able to make these giant robots called the Divine Beast and other kind of guardian robots, all with the intention of expecting Ganon to come back and being able to be ready for him when he did. Um, so about 100 years before the events of that here, you get a new uh, Princess Zelda who uh, basically um, fixes up these Divine Beasts and gets them ready for battle. Uh, she appoints different, you know, four denizens of Hyrule to uh, be in charge of these divine beasts. And also she finds a Link, you know, because you need to find Link. Yeah. Um, who is the only person who can get the Master Sword, so they get the Master Sword and they're ready to go. The only thing they're missing is that Zelda doesn't know how to use her sealing magic, which is the big crux of being able to seal Ganon at the end of the day. Um, and in the process here, when Ganon awakes... He actually sends, like, a techno-virus, I guess is the best way to, to describe it. Mm -hmm. um, even though, again, it's all fantasy-based. To all the different Guardians and Divine Beasts, which basically turns them against their creators. Um, they call it malice at the end of the day. Oh, of course. The malice would be the mm -hmm. perfect description for it, I description, think. Description, yeah. Um, so as a result of this, um, the four Divine Beasts are lost to Ganon. And the pilots are, unfortunately, die as a result. Um, so now it's only Zelda and Link at the end of the day. And Link is trying to desperately save Zelda, who's still learning how to use her sealing powers. However, Link gets mortally wounded and gets taken to a place to get um, healed at the end of the day. But he has to sleep for 100 years to do so. 
Oh, how is Zelda going to age during these hundred years? Zelda actually goes into the castle where Ganon is at and seals the Hyrule Castle with Ganon in it. Kind of freezing time almost at the end of the day. So she goes into stasis. Mm-hmm. So, We're sleeping beauty. Yes. So when you pick up the game of Breath of the Wild here, um, you're actually starting off as a amnesic uh, Link at the end of the day. I don't know who I am. No. Okay. But you do know that you have to go save Princess Zelda because somebody's there who tells you you should go do that. Okay. Um, what's interesting about Breath of the Wild here is that unlike um, other mainline uh, Zelda games here, you don't really get a direction to which to go. Is that better or worse? Um, I found it, it's, it's a different change at the end of the day because while there is a story that's there and you can follow along different quests that take you to different places... Um, a lot of the fun of Breath of the Wild here is basically looking at the map and saying, looking out into the distance and saying, hey, there's something over there. Let me go look for it and trying okay. to get to it. Um, so a lot of the fun of Breath of the Wild, um, in my experience has been, ooh, I see something in the distance. I want to go find it. I want to go get it. You know, and seeing in what's interesting about Breath of the Wild as well is that um, you travel through the game collecting weapons that break, oddly enough, when you use them too many times. You have to keep collecting weapons. Um, but that there's all these little secrets and little things that you can find kind of along the way mm -hmm. that really does um, feel like, you know, you're going off in tangents. So you can spend the entire game just collecting the different little um, puzzle seeds that you find in order to expand your inventory or expand your, your, your various uh, heart gauges and stuff like that. Um, and never actually get to the very end of the game here, or you can immediately go right from the very beginning to the final boss at the end of the at the end of the day. And if you're good enough, you could theoretically beat him without having gained any of the power ups along the way. Okay, so so let's let's back down here. So so when you're talking about gaining the power ups, it sounds almost like you're talking about it being both a puzzle game and a fighting game. So. Um, <coughs> Majority of the game is all based around swinging your sword and, and fighting a lot of cases, but there's a lot of puzzle aspects as well. So puzzles have been an actually huge part of uh, the Zelda games here in a lot of cases. So they, they range from how do I shoot X, Y, and Z to you know how do I actually use this current new ability that I have uh, to defeat the boss at the end of the day. So sometimes in most... In most mainline Zelda games, what you have at the end of the day is you get a new tool at the end of the day, like, uh, let's say, a boomerang, for example. And the game will spend, the, once you get the boomerang, the game will actually spend a good portion of the dungeon teaching you how to use the boomerang. So then when you get to the boss, you know, the boomerang becomes an integral part of defeating the final boss at the end of the day. So it might be that... Um, it's a spider at the end of the day that's kind of crawling along the, the top of the walls there, but you have to use the boomerang to knock all of its feet off the wall so it falls to the ground, allowing you to go and attack it then at that point. Um, so there's a lot of puzzles like that in the various dungeons. Um, what's really cool about Breath of the Wild is that each one of the little dungeons are all puzzle-based. So um, what you'll do is when you go to these individual dungeons, you'll have to figure out how to get to either the next level or get to a certain item that will let you get to the next level in order to get 
progress through these little dungeons at the end of the day. So it's a quest through a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yes. And now some of it does require uh, more action-based sort of uh, mechanisms at the end of the day, where you have to like fight your way through a bunch of enemies, maybe. Um, but other other versions here might, you know, especially in Breath of the Wild here, might say, huh, this rock looks out of place. I'm going to pick it up. Or, or this rock here is, these rocks are stacked in a certain way. If I move one of these rocks here, maybe this will trigger something as well. Or um, this set of, you know, this, you know, collection of stuff isn't isn't in the right order. If I reorder it in the correct order based off of something else, then that'll get me some sort of little reward after that as well. So there's a bunch of little stuff like that in Breath of the Wild, which has made it to the point where um, I've been playing it for like hours and hours and I still am nowhere close to beating it. Just because they get lost and go into tangents all the time. That's actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, I, and, and I guess and it's it's my error in, in all the assumptions I make because I never really think about quests as also having puzzles. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I, I think of quests initially here and I think of World of Warcraft, unfortunately, but in a lot of yeah. World of Warcraft here... Um, Especially back very early in the day, for the in early incarnations of the game here, um, it would give you a quest, but then wouldn't tell you what to do on that quest necessarily, um, or it would not necessarily allude to what you needed to do on the quest properly. So it might be that like, oh hey, find the courier and get the get the message from the courier, and you might think it's just a traveling guy who has a message here, but the a don't tell you what path he takes at the end of the day. And B doesn't tell you, oh, well, you also have to kill him as well. It's like, oh. Well, that's a sort of different message, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, there's a bunch of elements like that at the end of the day where, um, you know, it doesn't describe the entire event for you here. In Breath of the Wild, thankfully, though, um, they make do try to make a point of telling you where to go to next um, for the main, sort of, there is a kind of a mainline quest that happens that's kind of, um, enlightening you about the events of everything that happened. But it's very easy to just kind of play the game and get lost in just traversing completely around the area and never actually following the main quest. Okay, so, so and this is just a general question for all of them. Can you play a new game of Zelda without having played the previous ones? Yes, intentionally. So nothing, nothing in any of the Zelda games... Requires you have to play either a previous one or have any previous experience of it at all. Um, and in most cases, the Zelda timeline in of itself is more or less kind of a loose direction in which the story has kind of taken place over the many years. But at no point do the events of Skyward Sword ever play, play any sort of effect on the events of Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, Wind Waker, or any of the other Zelda games at all. Um, the only, you know, you only maybe get some new understanding of events that have happened in the past at this point here, but I mean, like, there's really no, outside of the linear... So you could come in blind. Very much so, yeah. And a lot of people do. Um, I know my real first major Zelda game would have been Link's Awakening. Having not actually played the Super Nintendo or the, or I would have had played the NES version, but at a friend's house where... We're both like, you know, six, seven, eight years old and have no idea what we're really doing. 
at all. Um, but being able to enjoy it in that particular aspect, you know. Um, and even my first actual full 3D Zelda game was actually was Wind Waker at the end of the day for the GameCube. Um, having not owned a Nintendo 64 or, or been able to play that version of the game at all. Well, because I was pretty militant about not having... No, and I think that was a good call for the most part. We did find we had a, we did have other video games. We had a plethora of PCs at, uh, games out there as well. Yeah. So, um, but again, I mean, like that—that's just my experience that I can I can describe for it at the end of the day. So, what's your favorite? Um, again, I really like Twilight Princess. I really love the aesthetic of the world at the end of the day. I love this kind of like dark world that's really not dark. It's just people who don't fully understand what's really going on in this world at the end of the day. Um, and I appreciate kind of the storyline there, which was, you know, because when you look at Midna originally, she's this impish-looking little girl at the end of the day that's kind of all this black, that's covered by this, part of her entire face is covered by this mask. Uh, and when she gets her full power-up, she's actually this proper princess at the end of the day. Um so this impish sort of creature, which has basically been taunting and teasing you the entire game. She's not, she's not nice. She's she, not nice? No, she's very kind of, you know, cruel in some cases. Or she's very... Well, she's part of the dark world, okay? Yeah. Yeah, no, again, she's taunting, she's teasing, you know, like, you know, she has a weird way of speaking at the end of the day. But again, uh, when, you, when she gets to her final form at the end of the day, you're just like, oh... That's the actual princess we were looking for the entire time. time. Not like this impish little little creature at the end of the day. So like, and I, I appreciate kind of that duality of like, things are not bad, they just look bad at the end of the day. But they're actually decent and good things at the end of the day. I like that duality because I think it speaks more to our natural world at the end of the day where things are not good or bad. It's all about either A, how they're used or B, how they're perceived at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, and I appreciate... Um, and I appreciate that in stories, especially that really kind of look into it. Because, again, throughout the entire game, the denizens of the Twilight world are the villains for the most part. But when you find out that they're actually brainwashed and that they are proper people, not the monsters that they appear in the game, that you're just like, oh, how unfortunate. Yeah. So. And, and again, that's why I like, I think, why I like that one there. That's pretty cool. So, the homework here for you. And... Yeah. If you want to spend a little more time on it, you can. It's going to be the the uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is available on the Switch. Uh-huh. Now, normally it is about a $50 to $60 game on on the Switch here. If you get it through the eShop, you can probably will get it for full price unless there's some sort of sale or discount. Uh-huh. If you go to a GameStop or buy it uh, as a used copy, you probably could get it for a lot cheaper. Okay. Um, for our fans who don't have Switches and are not able to enjoy it here, I highly recommend, um, I'll see if I can find a good uh, video of a playthrough here that kind of gives you the impression of playing um, Zelda at the end of the day. I think I know a couple guys that might play it really well. Um, that would be certainly fun to enjoy it with. But okay. um, you're going to try it out for yourself here, Mom, and let us know what you think about it at the end. Okay. So that's going to be the homework here for today. So again, we're going to put all of our notes here on our website at our nerd, at the nerdtutorialpodcast.com where you can find all of the show notes and all the notes for all the stuff that we talked about here today. We also continue the conversation as well at our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash nerdtutorialpodcast, all is one word. And then if you have any ideas for future topics or ideas for, um, or any commentary or you just want to see some of the f- previous topics that we've covered as well, 
you can see us on nerd underscore tutorial on Twitter. Perfect. But on behalf of myself and my mom, we hope that you guys still stay safe out there in these weird times. And we'll see you guys again next time. Bye.